Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you, uh, wherever you are on this uh, Friday as we uh, enter a busy weekend of sport. Uh, we seldom don't have a busy weekend of sport, but this is a crucial one for the All Blacks, of course, up against England. And a defining test match, and we'll talk to Grant Nisbet about that very shortly. Uh, 9.32 this morning, uh, around about that time, we'll be talking to uh, Nicholas Lamperin. And Nicholas, of course, is the tournament director for a ASB Classic and some wonderful signings. Uh, he has announced for that tournament. It's a real power-packed show uh, he's putting together. Uh, Jesse Gower, just after 10 o'clock, uh, Jesse's with New Zealand Bloodstock. They've just wrapped up their ready-to-run sale at uh, Caracas, so we'll uh, get the details on just how that went. Pretty good, I understand. We'll have a panel uh, around about 10.20 this morning. Uh, Betsy Hassett, just after 11 o'clock. Now, Betsy, of course, is uh, phenomenally experienced New Zealand women's footballer. She's played uh, all around the globe, but she's back to play for the Wellington Phoenix. And, of course, she's part of the Football Ferns as we prepare for the World Cup coming up uh, in about 12 months' time. Dave Fahey, one of our most experienced and successful Greyhound trainers, he'll be with us around about 11.20 this morning. And uh, Mike here and um, Mickey Guerin will be with us uh, around about 11.45 this morning as uh, we preview what's coming up uh, on uh, SENZ in terms of harness action over the weekend. It is uh, now uh, 9.04 here on SENZ and uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, this test match against England coming up at the weekend is, for me anyway, the defining test match uh, of uh, the winter. It uh, really has not uh, been a season without edge, has it? I mean, it's had feeling, it's had everything. At one point we were all looking for uh, Ian Foster to get sacked. It was on the cards and then a miraculous uh, recovery at Alice Park in Johannesburg has sparked a, a situation where he's pretty much firmly ensconced, or is he? It's been such a roller coaster year. The Irish came through uh, victorious. Uh, there were changes uh, bringing in Jason Ryan from uh, the Crusaders. The Bledisloe Cup, the Rugby Championship were locked away again, and just that one test against England left on what's been a pretty successful Northern Tour if you look at results uh, overall. No one better to review uh, where we're at right now with the All Blacks than uh, Grant Nisbet, of course, uh, out of Sky Sport, uh, who has had his uh, finger on the pulse for the whole of the 12 months. Nisbo, good morning to you. 
G'day, Smithy. Nice to talk to you, uh, mate, on the eve uh, of a weekend of uh, really, I think, defining rugby. Where does this test match sit for you in the calendar year? Oh, right up there. I think uh, being the last test of the year, of course, um, you know, we'll have to reflect over summer what we think of the all-black season. And, of course, they don't front up again until, uh, you know, midway through next year. So uh, this is going to be the one we remember probably the most. I mean, there's been some outstanding performances throughout the year. There's been some real low points. But when, uh, when you reflect on the year, you probably reflect on the game that's most recent, and that's going to be England. And, boy, is it going to be tough. It's an interesting point you make, actually, because normally uh, you would say England's a bit of a yardstick for us in terms of Northern Tours, but have Ireland sort of gazumped them a wee bit there? We're not playing Ireland on this tour, but we have played them, of course, this year. Uh, are Ireland more a yardstick than England these days, you feel? Well, and possibly France, too. And, of course, we didn't play them on this particular uh, tour either. You know, we saw what Ireland would do, could do when they were down here. Uh, a few months ago, and we we know they are outstanding. So uh, we know that they're the number team, number one team in the world at the moment. So um, it really only leaves England. Of the teams that you play up north, uh, Ireland at the moment, anyway, Ireland, England, and France are the ones that you really want to get on top of. Uh, Wales haven't been uh, great for the last few years. Scotland have sort of come and go, uh, have uh, come and gone a wee bit. But really, it's um, it's England, Ireland, and France, and of course, not being able to play France and Ireland on this particular venture, we really have to make our yardstick the England game, and um, and uh, you know we're going to learn a lot. We're going to find out exactly where we sit less than twelve months out from the World Cup. Right. Let's look at uh, Ian Foster's selection for this one. Uh, I saw a headline on stuff that said it's his strongest side. How, how do you feel about the makeup? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, you could argue a few places. It's, it's probably a little surprising that Mark Talia has made it into the starting lineup um, on the evidence of one game, but I thought it was a pretty compelling performance against Scotland. Sure, the two tries that he scored, um, most self-respecting wingers would score them, but it was his work uh, around the park, I think, that uh, probably endeared him to Foster, and so he got the nod at uh, 14. The other talking point, I suppose is uh, the fact that um, Scott Barrett is going to play on the blindside flank. And I think that's purely um, because they're looking for bulk and speed. Um, you know, Shannon Frizzell, uh, maybe not quite as big as Scott Barrett. Uh, it's pretty hard to leave Scott Barrett out at the moment. He's, he's such a good player. But, of course, with the return of Brodie Retallick, they had, to, um, they had to find a spot for him somewhere. Uh, it is interesting that three years ago, um, uh, Steve Hansen put Scott Barrett at six in that uh, match at the World Cup in Japan and admitted afterwards that if he had his time over again, he probably wouldn't have done that. But we're three years down the track. Things have changed. And uh, and so Scott Barrett is at number six. So I think they're probably the two big talking points. Uh, one of the other ones, before we get to Retallick, of course, it's a significant game for him this weekend after a suspension. Uh, but before we get to um, before we get to Brody Retallick, I, I just want to this, I distinctly remember, I think, sitting in a car with you and uh, and Justin after we left uh, Christchurch, or uh, well, I think it was one of the tests against Argentina, except which we'd lost, and we thought maybe that would be the end for Cody Taylor. Now he starts again. Um, this weekend, which is to me a bit of, uh, well, it's a comeback from, from nowhere, really, because I think some people had written him off. Yeah, I think I think he'd be the first to admit that his form over the last sort of 18 months hasn't been great. It wasn't great last year. It wasn't great for most part of this year either, but 
he looks to me like he's got a um, he's been revitalised somehow. Maybe it's the the fact that Jason Ryan is now working with him. I'm not sure. Um, but there'd probably still be some raised eyebrows about him starting ahead of uh, Tokiaho, who uh, has done absolutely nothing wrong. Um, but, uh, boy, the Chiefs man can make some impact off the bench, can't he? And um, mm-hmm. so they've gone kind of with the tried and true, I suppose you could say, and then expect to bring uh, Tokiaho on with about maybe half an hour to go and, um, and let him run rampant. So... I'm not too surprised, but you're right. I think I think Taylor has uh, he has found some form. Okay, right. Let's uh, look at uh, Brody Retallick, shall we? Yeah, Test match number one hundred. Of course, he's alongside uh, Whitelock, who Sam Whitelock, who brought that up quite some time ago. Um, in terms of their combination, in terms of Retallick, where do they sit now for you? Oh, they're right up there as a combination. In fact, um, I think they played their sixty-fourth Test together, which is a new record. Um, and they've become sort of part of the all-black fabric over the last seven or eight years. And uh, they're two sort of very different players. One is a workhorse, that's Sam Whitelock. He just uh, burrows away. Uh, Retallick is probably a little more spectacular in terms of lock forwards. He can run with the ball. He can make some big tackles. And I think he'd be pretty fired up after uh, missing the last two games. He wouldn't have enjoyed sitting in the grandstand and watching those uh, two matches. And I think he would have certainly targeted uh, this game. He, he is a quality lock. And in fact, you know, when you're picking all, all-time all-black teams um, mm-hmm. over the last hundred or so years, he'd be in the conversation, I think, along with the, you know, the Colin Meads, et cetera, et cetera, of our very best locks. And uh, it's great that he's got to 100. Um, he probably won't go much past the World Cup. In fact, a lot of these guys probably won't go much past the World Cup. But he has been an outstanding performer over the years, for sure. And I reckon... He will make a big impact at Twickenham. Okay, right. Uh, we start, there's been times throughout the year, Nisbo, um, when we've uh, looked at numbers 9 and 10 and we thought, have we really settled there? Uh, Aaron Smith's form was um, just a little bit average there earlier in the season and people were saying, who else at 9? Uh, and the Mwanga bowden barrett debate has been ongoing for years now. Uh, do we seem settled now in 9 and 10? Yeah, I think we do. Um, Ms. Smith was outstanding in Cardiff a couple of weeks ago too, and it, and it coincides with the performance of the forwards, doesn't it? I mean, anybody will tell you anything, anyone who knows anything about rugby will tell you that number nines never look much good if the forwards are not dominant. And the all-black forwards this season haven't been great, uh, but they've improved as the year has gone on, and they were so dominant in Wales that it gave Aaron Smith a decent platform and we just saw what he can do. So let's hope that can continue. Um, Richie Moonga has done absolutely nothing wrong. And um, and Bowden Barrett, uh, likewise, they really need to try and get both of them on the park. And that's, this is the great compromise, of course, with Will Jordan not being there. Um, Bowden Barrett really um, puts his hand up to be the fullback. There's no question about that. In fact, I think he's probably a better 15 than easier 10 these these days. They just, uh, last week, they just didn't really click, did they? Geordie um, looks more like a 12 than a 15 these days. Um, and it's rather funny, isn't it, that, um, you know, they're all changing jerseys, the Barrett brothers. Uh, last week we had, uh, we had Geordie in 15, now he's in 12. Bodie was in 10, now he's in 15. Scott Barrett was like it, now he's at 6. Um, so it just shows how versatile they are. But, but I think they have got the combination right now. 
I, it's interesting. I was just about to say to you, yeah, uh, all three of them are probably playing in different jerseys that we would have envisaged, uh, you know, throughout the year. So that's uh, an interesting factor to look out for. But great to have the three Barrett brothers in the starting 15. So uh, in essence, uh, in terms of a report card for the season, this result, of course, we're still is still pending. But uh, we've gone through a turbulent, probably one of the most turbulent seasons in terms of All Black Rugby. When you look at the coaching personnel, debate about the captaincy, etc. Uh, at the end of the, uh, at the end of it, Nisbo, um, how will how will you feel if the All Blacks get up here? How will you feel about the, us going forward? Well, we're hard markers, Smithy, aren't we? I mean, we expect we mm. expect, uh, and the fans expect almost perfection out of the All Blacks. We're never happy when we lose. And, of course, we lost the series to Ireland. We lost to Argentina. And um, and that was unacceptable. We lost the first test to the Springboks. And uh, I think at that stage of the season, we'd be lucky if we'd got to halfway. We'd be lucky if we'd be marking them at five. But I think, um, you know, we've picked it up. We've retained the Bledisloe Cup. Uh, at times, not too convincingly. Certainly, the performance in Melbourne left a lot to be desired. Um, but they came away, of course, at Eden Park. Um, and our performances on the Northern Tour have been a little bit mixed, let's be honest about it. It wasn't great in Japan. Um, Scotland played very well against us, but we got through. We won the game. So I think if we beat England, we're probably looking at around seven, seven and a half. I mean, it hasn't been a great year. When you lose, what, four test matches, I think, and you're an all-black team, you're never going to be looking like getting 10. Um, I reckon if you can beat um, South Africa in Johannesburg, and you can beat England at Twickenham, you deserve to probably come out with about a seven. Has the All Black 15 experiment, that little Northern Tour, been a success? Do you think they got out of it what they needed to? Oh, I think so. I mean, it's a bit hard to know what they were thinking, but I think we saw the next echelon of New Zealand players um, and, you know, just gave them a little bit of exposure and... Uh, you know, I think there's there's some new All Black teams to be picked. Not in 2023. I think we're probably pretty much uh, set in stone who'll be playing in 2023. But once the World Cup is done and dusted, and a lot of these veteran players are no longer available, I think you'll see some of the blokes who played in this uh, All Blacks 15. I think you'll see them start to emerge. And uh, the fact that they've had that experience of touring, which of course uh, doesn't happen a lot these days, uh, I think that it'll it'll um, certainly be of value in the years to come. Right, let's look at uh, England if we can briefly. They've uh, named their side, of course, as well, which includes uh, uh, Billy Vullapola at eight with Sam Simmons. Now, they're both traditionally number eights and strong ball carriers. Um, so that's an interesting selection for Eddie Jones in terms of tactically. How do you think he'll approach going against the All Blacks? Oh look, he'll work on the he'll work on the blueprint that uh, the one in two nineteen, and uh, that of course was shutting the All Blacks down and then dominating in the forwards. Uh, it's it's it, there's nothing subtle about it, Smithy. I mean, this is a big England forward pack, no doubt about it. Um, they've got one they've got one um, fetcher, if you like, in Tom Curry, but Simmons and uh, Vernie Polo are big men, and then you combine those with Atoji and um, and Johnny Hill and and a big front row as well. I mean, there's nothing very subtle about the way England play the game, and I don't expect that will change. They will try and dominate the All Blacks up front. And, you know, if this game had been played three or four months ago, you would have been feeling pretty nervous about it. But I'm feeling a little more buoyant about it because the All Black forwards have fronted. Uh, certainly the top All Black forward pack has fronted in the last few weeks. So 
I think this is where the game's going to be won or lost. Uh, as I say, this, uh, you don't have to be a, a rocket scientist to work that out. Whoever wins the battle up front is going to win the game. There's no question about that. And uh, I don't think England will be firing the ball all over Twickenham. Uh, they'll just be trying to be dominant, win their set pieces. They'll probably do a fair bit of kicking. So Bowden Barrett's going to be under a fair bit of high ball, I would suspect. Um, and it's just going to be a compelling contest. 100 caps for Ritalik, uh, also a uh, 100th cap for Owen Farrell, who's the kind of guy, I think he's the kind of guy we love to hate, but I, I suppose with 100 test matches under his belt for England, we have to give him due respect as well. Yeah, look, he's been a very good player over the years, no doubt about that. And, um, you know, he's usually played at number 10 uh, in matches against the All Blacks, um, but he's versatile enough to move out one. And, of course, nowadays with Marcus Smith in there at 10, um, but they they need Farrell in there. They need his leadership, that's for sure. They need his experience. And, um, look, he's going to be a vital component, no doubt about that. It'll be a great clash, actually, between him and Geordie Barrett. Mm-hmm. Domestically, uh, Nisbo, um, you've been a frustrated but very loyal Wellington fan for a number of years, decades, in fact. Not a bad year for Wellington. No, and and it's hard to believe that... um, I remember coming back from Johannesburg, Smithy, and my first assignment after coming back from South Africa was to go to Pori Royal Park or Jerry Collins Stadium on a very wet afternoon and watch Wellington play appallingly badly against Northland. And I thought, uh, boy, this is horrible. This is really horrible. And I held out absolutely no hope for them whatsoever. But somehow, after that game, they turned it around and they didn't lose again. Um, no, it was a real triumph, actually. I mean, to grab the Ramfield Shield off you guys um, and then to actually kick on and win the championship and, and win it pretty well, I think. I mean, to go to Canterbury and beat uh, Red and Blacks down there is not an easy task. And... Uh, no, it was, um, it was fairly invigorating, Smithy. We, we don't win much in the capital, um, as long-suffering fans of most sports would uh, identify <laughs> with. So I guess we're going to celebrate when we do. OK, uh, and just finally, Nisbo, uh, on the back of uh, the Black Ferns' remarkable turnaround from 12 months ago, of course, winning the World Cup in style, in front of packed houses, etc. What about Wayne Smith now? What, what would you th- be thinking Wayne Smith's thinking? Oh, look, he probably wants to put his feet up, uh, Smithy. I mean, he'll he'll probably end up, because he won't be able to help himself, he'll probably end up being a gun for hire. Whatever team needs a little bit of help is probably going to get a hold of Wayne Smith's phone number and and give him a call. But what a fantastic achievement. I mean, he was terrific. He's been terrific as a coach right through. We all know he had a, a little bit of a troubled time with the All Blacks. Um, way back, it feels like about 20 odd years ago now um, but he's been superb in the back rooms, they, they don't call him the professor for nothing he really uh, can analyse a game and sit down in front of a computer and uh, and just work out everything and, and to be able to take over the, uh, the Black Ferns at fairly short notice, let's be honest about it and turn them into world champions uh, what a remarkable performance it has been. It's, it's been a, a very, very eventful season for both men's and women's rugby. Nisbo, always great to catch up with you. The game is uh, 6.30 uh, Sunday morning, New Zealand against uh, England. Look forward to it uh, with relish, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Nice to talk to you, Smithy. Yeah, cheers, uh, Grant Nisbet there, of course, uh, number one uh, commentator for Sky Sport, calling uh, all our rugby uh, throughout the season, or most of it anyway. Um, and uh, yes, England against the All Blacks, uh, 6.30.
Uh, so it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, you don't have to set your clocks and wake up in the middle of the night. It's a goodie. Uh, have a bit of brekkie and uh, watch the All Blacks in their final performance of this calendar year. Uh, for me, really, is a defining one. You always want to end the season on a good note. Uh, if they could go through that Northern Tour without, uh, of course, playing, as Nispo said, uh, either F- Ireland or France, which takes a little bit of the gloss off it in terms of <coughs> what you've done. But still, you can only play and beat who's in front of you. And if they were to beat them all um, on this particular leg of it of the year, I think, um, yeah, about seven, seven out of ten. Maybe other people will be harder markers than that. But uh, that's a, a, a bit of a feeling, I think, uh, particularly when you consider where they were from, uh, where they were with about 11 minutes to go at Alice Park in Johannesburg. Quite remarkable, really, um, in terms of the personnel, etc. 9.22 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Very welcome to Texas, uh, folks, on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Of course, great supporters of the station, uh, Temper people. Um, and we've got double eight double three as a text number there. Of course, Jared has come in with a couple of uh, interesting points. He said, I premise this by saying I'm from Christchurch. So for me, I feel no one deserves to start the biggest test match of the year more than Samasone Tokiaho. I understand Cody is playing well and is extremely experienced, so I have no qualms about him. But they want Tokiahu's impact. Uh, well, his impact of the highest level every minute he's out on the field. And I'd rather have him out there for 60 minutes uh, rather than 20. Saying that, though, I'm picking they want him as the closest, smashing through tired defenders. Fair enough, Jared says. Uh, he also said Barrett is a good call at six. The longer the game goes, the better he gets. If you have him coming off the bench for 20 minutes, he may overplay his hand and has the odd penalty and touch of ill-discipline about him. Right, uh, interesting. Any uh, text about that would be uh, gratefully received. So, yes, uh, double eight, double three there. Uh, golf news overnight, of course, we've got New Zealanders playing in three tournaments. Uh, Danny Lee uh, off the pace uh, in the latest uh, PGA event. But more importantly, of course, we've got Ryan Fox and Lydia Ko looking to sew up their uh, respective championships. Um, and I can tell you that... Uh, in, uh, the, uh, the most interesting one uh, for Ryan Fox, um, uh, he shot, uh, Ryan Fox shot uh, one over, um, and he's in a tie for 33rd. Rory McIlroy was one under, that's one of the guys he's really up against, he's in a tie for 22nd. Tournament being led uh, at this stage by uh, Terrell Hatton and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, the two Englishmen, they're at seven under, so Ryan Fox is uh, off the pace there, uh, eight behind, so uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, where he is in the future rounds. And Lydia Coe, of course, uh, is also taking part in uh, the really the Group Tour Championship for women. There's a purse there of seven million US dollars, which is quite significant, isn't it? And Lydia Ko, at last uh, reports, was three under after eleven, um, alongside Brooke Henderson, who's three under after twelve. Uh, three off the pace, three off the pace at this stage, um, and that's uh, held by uh, Anana Kuran from Malaysia, and uh, she's at six under. So. Uh, also of interest there, Nelly Corder at uh, four under after 16. So Lydia Co right in the mix as you would expect. So we'll keep you updated on her round uh, as it comes to a conclusion. <coughs> but the golf of interest over the weekend is so much of our other sport. And the warm-up game, Portugal leading uh, Nigeria 2-0. Um, in fact, just 3-0 now. Um, and that's on the back of Nigeria just missing a penalty. So Portugal 3 without Ronaldo. Nigeria nil. It is 9.30 here on SENZ Tennis next, but in the meantime, here is some news with Araha.
The countdown to the Australian Open is on. It's time to talk tennis with Smithy. Game, set, match. Experience the best of the Australian Open and the best of Melbourne with AO Travel. Visit ozopentravel.com. 9.32 here on SENZ, and if you thought the ASB Classic roster for the women's draw was already impressive with uh, world number seven Coco Goff there, Sloane Stephens and Leila Fernandez, just got even more stacked yesterday with the uh, announcement that the US Open winner uh, Emma Raducanu will also compete. It's a star-studded collection for the January tournament that's looking to make a big return after being off the tennis calendar for the last two years because of COVID. And with us now is uh, ASB Classic Tournament Director Nicholas uh, Lamperin. Nicholas, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great news that you've uh, signed uh, Emma Rodakanyu and you're putting together quite the draw card. Well done. Good morning. Yes, thanks very much. Um, I think it was very important for us to make a statement of, after being uh, off the tour for, for nearly three years, uh, just to re-engage with all of our fans and, and stakeholders and, and just to let them know that, you know, we, we're back and, and we're here for good. Well, Nicholas, uh, after two years, as you say, away, um, what were your goals uh, in, in terms of uh, getting this, this tournament back up and running and, and attracting these, these uh, young tennis stars to come here for, on their pathway towards uh, the Australian Open? Uh, how easy has it been? Well, it hasn't been easy, uh, to be perfectly transparent. Um, you know, a lot of the, the costs have gone up over the last three years. Um, you know, play, players tend to uh, forget about the, the fact that there's a tournament in New Zealand at this time of the year because it wasn't part of their schedule for the last two seasons. So we've had to do a lot of um, education and speak to many of them. Um, and also, you know, we ha- we've had to re-engage with all of our sponsors um, just to make sure we could get the, 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 the support that we need to put the, the event back together. Um, and once we got this, uh, you know, we went out really early in the market trying to contract players. Uh, so we always want to identify some marquee players. Players have a history with the tournament, uh, past champions, but also um, always keeping an eye on, on the next generation, uh, the, the big names that uh, will be here in, in the future. Of course, you're up against uh, pre-open tournaments in Australia as well. What do you use, Nicholas, as uh, as your bargaining tools? What are, I mean, obviously money is a, is a important to them, but what are the other things that you tend to offer to, to make this tournament so attractive? Well, I think you know New Zealand is a very special place. Um, the, the tournament has a has a rich history, and and players have always been very well looked after over the years. So we we have a lot of uh, positive on that on that side. Um, we, we're facing a, a mixed uh, team competition the, the, the same week in, with the United Cup in, in Australia. Um, the dates are slightly different, which means most of the players have to leave home before Christmas, and, and we know some of them don't really like to do this. Uh, but also some would rather play um, an official event uh, as, as a preparation to, to the Australian Open as opposed to play a, a mixed team competition, which is not what they're normally used to. So... Um, every every player has a different way of organizing their schedule. Um, so for us, it's just a matter of you know speaking to the right ones and, and trying to convince them uh, about the, the the quality of the tournament that we're putting together. Nicholas, it'd be interesting to know uh, your processes, how you go about this. For instance, let's just use uh, Emma Raducanu as an example of this. How long a process? How hard a process? I mean, how many calls do you have to make? How much? 
uh, lobbying, I guess, do you have to do uh, to sign a name of that magnitude? Well, Emma was uh, it was always a bit of a, a special one. Uh, of course, you know what what she what she did at the US Open last year was 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 amazing and never heard of in, in the history of the game. Um, I knew that you know this year will be a bit more challenging because you know this that was a first season uh, back on a uh, first full season on the tour. She's still very very young and 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 she would go through some challenges. So for me, the the timing of the conversation was always going to be key. Um, so I waited until the U.S. Open, which is, you know, when she had the, the most points to defend, um, as opposed to, you know, early July when she was still top 10 in the world. Um, and then we try to build uh, a schedule for her around um, early next year, which actually makes sense uh, according to where, where she's in the ranking now. Um, so, you know, it, it was a combination of factors, but I, I would have to say that timing was, was really key in all these discussions. How complete is the women's draw now? How much more tinkering you've got? Have you got any more surprises up your sleeve? Um, I've got two more, uh, which we'll announce uh, shortly. Not necessarily big names at the moment, but really uh, young talent and, and names that, that will be here in, 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 in the future. So um, keep, keep an eye on for, the, for these two girls. They'll be very special. Okay, um, and the other the, the other thing about uh, the tournament, of course, New Zealand interest uh, from from our point of view. Uh, obviously, we have very few players uh, anywhere near the rankings that are required. Uh, but w- what about New Zealand interest in the tournament, Nicosia? Are you able to involve anything there? Yeah, I think we we're always trying to support local talent. Uh, we know this is a, a, a major task. So this year, uh, we are uh, launching two two separate initiatives in that respect. The first one is a playoff. So the best New Zealanders players will, will, will play against each other the, in the week before the, the, the SB Classic. The winner will get a main draw wildcard and the runner-up will, will get a qualities wildcard. So it's, uh, it's a massive opportunity for these New Zealand players to, to play at the SB Classic. At the same time, we're supporting uh, another initiative with uh, uh, Lavi Academy and with the support of uh, Jaguar. Uh, they're running an under-14 tournament across the country, and all the winners will have a chance to play at the ASB Classic uh, on Stanley Street during the tournament, and we will even stage their, their, their final on, on Centre Court. So it will be great experience for all these kids uh, to be able to see you know, what, what it's like to be uh, playing on the, on, the, on the big stage. Has it been easy to get uh, sponsorship, corporate support after the absence of a couple of years, and um, in terms of ticket sales, etc., you would imagine that uh, that will be pretty easy to accomplish. Um, you know, funny enough, corp- um, sponsorship has gone through the roof. Uh, we're probably twenty-five percent higher than where we used to be back in twenty twenty. The, the support has been tremendous from you know loyal sponsors who stick with us over the years, but also new brands who have decided to to invest in, in the tournament. Um, in terms of ticket sales, we, we, we're tracking well ahead of where we would normally be uh, at this time of the year. So I, I would only encourage people to get the tickets as soon as possible if they want to be part of the of the action. Right. Okay. Let's uh, look at um, the men's side of things as well. Uh, let's not forget them. Uh, we've heard uh, the names Cameron Norrie and Casper Rood, uh, very high profile and successful players. Um, making their way to New Zealand. Um, how is the men's draw coming along? 
Yeah, men's draw is going to be amazing, I think. Uh, so we've secured two top 10 players. The first one being Casper Rude, who's sitting at number four in the world right now. He's just qualified for the semi-finals of the um, ATP finals in, in Turin in Italy. Um, we've also signed Olga Rune, who sits at number 10. Um, you know, when we signed him, he was 27. He's only 19, 19 uh, years old, but he had an unbelievable run at the end of the season, you know, playing uh, four finals in a row winning two titles and, more importantly, winning his first um, Masters 1000 event in, in Paris and, and defeating Djokovic in the final. So he's one of the, the, the big names for the future, for sure. Um, and we're glad also to bring some you know, local flavor with, with Cam Norrie, who grew up in New Zealand between the age of three and, and 17. And, and so New Zealand has always, always been a special place for Cam and he's uh, delighted to come back. Coverage. Uh, what about the, uh, the the coverage, the television ex- um, exposure? How's that uh, coming along? Is that all cemented? Uh, all cemented. It will be uh, announced later on today, officially. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll wait for that um, with interest. Then. Uh, so pretty much, uh, Nicholas, as you sit here this morning, uh, January not that far away. We're in the middle of November now. Um, you're pretty happy that everything is is on track, yeah. Yeah, everything is tracking so well. Um, things are getting a bit hectic for for, for the team, but in uh, in, a, in a positive way. And uh, we're very much looking forward to uh, having the tournament back and and welcoming everybody everyone at uh, Spanish Street from uh, from January. Well, we look forward to it as well. And uh, I imagine New Zealanders uh, who have been staffed of uh, live tennis action will be right there in their numbers. So, uh, Nicholas, congratulations on uh, the signings that you've managed to achieve. Some really big names there. Um, we look forward to uh, the tournament now uh, in earnest. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Yep, Nicholas Lamper in there, of course, who was the tournament director for um, <coughs> our tennis in New Zealand and uh, those two events uh, coming up in January as a precursor to the Australian Open. Uh, we've had some great names in the past, some great success. In fact, if you go back to the history of the tournament, um, you'd be uh, absolutely amazed to see how... Many players that we've had here who have gone on to be major winners, slam winners, uh, particularly in um, singles and doubles as well. And we're, let's not forget the doubles aspect of it, where New Zealand are very strongly represented at, at um, slam time. So uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. It certainly is. Uh, 9.42 here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. You got to know when to hold her, know when to fold her, Smithy's multi. know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, we were agonisingly close, and I mean close, yesterday. The Washington Wizards went down to OKC, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, by 121 to, uh, to 120. God, it was frustrating to watch it, uh, I really must say. Uh, so we missed out there. Uh, Australia beating England last night at uh, cricket at the Adelaide Oval, $1.62. What a game that was. We'll talk about that shortly. And Peru beat Paraguay 1-0, one, uh, so that uh, leg of it came up. So we missed out on the $4.80 shot yesterday, thanks to uh, OKC. Um, All Blacks uh, to beat England to this weekend for me, that's $1.70. Uh, New Zealand play India at cricket tonight, just by the by, and uh, that will be $1.71 with the Black Caps beating, I think, a depleted Indian side. Uh, they do not have uh, 
Virat Kohli. They don't have um, Rohit Sharma. They don't have KL Rahul in the batting and the bowling side of it. Uh, they don't have um, or they don't have Ravi Ashwin. They don't have Jadeja. They do not have uh, Muhammad Shami. And of course, um, uh, they have been uh, without their star bowler. Their star bowler. Um, and and uh, you know, oh, I think that uh, New Zealand will knock them over quite easily. Um, so dollar seventy-one. I think they're quite generous odds. And the Cameroon later today will play Panama in a warm-up uh, game of football at a dollar eighty-five. So that is uh, five dollars thirty-eight. Five dollars thirty-eight for a multi there. Yes. Uh, talking about that game of, of cricket last night, um, it was uh, game one of three uh, one-day internationals between uh, England and Australia, and England were in all sorts of trouble at three for thirty-one early on, and. Dawid uh, Milan came out, scored a magnificent 134 of 128, uh, supported by David Willey and Josh Butler. So they were able to get through to 287 for nine, which was uh, quite an amazing result. Adam Zampa with three wickets, and Pat Cummins, of course, captaining Australia in one-day internationals now. Uh, three wickets himself in the run chase, which is not an easy one. Uh, David Warner, 86. Steve Smith, 80, not out, relishing the opportunity to be back in Australian colours after basically being a, a bench rider during the T20 World Cup. And Travis Head, of course, a very accomplished player, uh, playing uh, on his home deck. 69 for Travis Head, uh, Willie Jordan and uh, Dawson were the wicket-takers for England. But uh, running that down in 46.5 overs, so three overs to spare, Australia did a mighty fine job there. So that is good. And, of course, the Black Caps are in action tonight against that Indian side, as we talked about. Uh, still have kept basically the status quo within their unit. They haven't done anything drastic. Perhaps uh, they didn't have enough time after dipping out of the T20 World Cup to make too many adjustments, but uh, they haven't uh, done that anyway. So Kane Williamson's still there. It'll be interesting to see the batting order, what they do with the batting order, whether they're going to prepare to make any adjustments or take any risks in uh, this series, which really does not uh, account for too much. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, don't forget, after uh, 10 o'clock, we'll be talking to Jesse Gower from New Zealand Bloodstock, ready to run sale. It's just been complete over the last two days. How did it go? Uh, we have a panel at uh, 10.20, and, of course, after 11 o'clock this morning, we shall be talking to Betsy Hassett. Prolific, prolific football fern, and, of course, uh, signing on for the first time with the Wellington Phoenix, who begin their campaign against Melbourne City this weekend. We'll be back shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, uh, the Black Caps against uh, India tonight. We're about to watch Sky Stadium in Wellington. Uh, coverage will be at 7.30pm. It's actually on uh, TVNZ as well as uh, Spark, so there'll be some good numbers attached to it, particularly when it's on TVNZ, of course, um, free to wear. Rare opportunities uh, that uh, New Zealand cricket fans have to, to see that. So it is an interesting uh, series. This uh, fellow, um, Surakuma Yadav, uh, is probably the biggest draw card they've got in the Indian side now. What an exciting cricketer he is. Uh, he's a world top-ranked T20 batter. Average of 41 at a devastating strike rate of 179. So... Uh, watch out for him in the absence of Sharma and uh, Coley and so it'll be interesting to see without those big names what the crowd sizes are at uh, the forecast in Wellington is partly cloudy rain developing in the afternoon and the chance of uh, maybe some uh, a thunderstorm or two so boy that doesn't look too flash does it if you look at it T20s uh, uh, the sides have bet 20 times for nine wins apiece and two ties 
uh, with both India and the Super Overs. On the last fit in 2020, they swept the series 5-0. India won all three on the Black Caps Tour a year ago. So uh, in Wellington, uh, we were victorious back in 2009 and 2019 before India won the third meeting between the sides and the capital in one of those Super Overs uh, back about uh, two, three years ago. Uh, so we've had a, a couple of texts that have come in as well. And uh, Aparahama says, look, uh, I agree about uh, Samasoni. He's our main guy that bends the line early. So he sincerely hopes that Jason Ryan knows what he's doing. This man made a good point, actually, about uh, the resurgence of Cody Taylor. Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence uh, at all uh, that it's uh, come uh, with the advent of uh, Jason Ryan back into uh, <coughs> coach uh, the All Blacks. Uh, of course, with his history with the Crusaders and Cody Taylor being such an instrumental uh, player down there. So I don't think there's uh, any any fluke about that. I think Jace Ryan would have uh, had a big say and a big impact on the resurgence of Cody Taylor's form. Uh, Kurt has come in and says, Morning Smithy, maybe something for your multi. And I didn't put it in, but I'll be having a look at this very seriously, Kurt, on the back of what you say. Uh, you have no idea why the Tennessee Titans are outsiders against the Green Bay Packers today. They're at a $2.35 mark. Uh, they never win by much. Uh, 1 to 12 at $3.10, you think, is a good bet. Um, and that is interesting. The Packers, of course, uh, go into this. They are 4 and 6. Uh, and Tennessee Titans are 6 and 3. Um, so, uh, <coughs> interesting. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. That'll be uh, on uh, television this afternoon. Um, as the Friday afternoon NRL game. Uh, just looking to get um, a little bit more update on uh, where Lydia's at in terms of uh, what she's going at. Uh, very interesting, too, Logan, to see. Um, um, Ryan Fox in a recent press conference um, making a few noises about live golf but saying he's certainly not uh, in his uh, plans at the moment. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, we kind of all thought they might come a knock in. Um, we've already seen Cam Smith go there. Who knows if uh, Foxy will go there as well, Smithy? I would not think so. Not for a long time. Um, I think he's got, now that he's got uh, so many doors in terms of the majors open to him after all the hard work he's done on the tour um, I think he'll stay. He'll stay put. We'll get a little update after 10 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Cool. Well, t- time to talk about uh, a little bit of thoroughbred, actually, and uh, particularly the bloodstock side of it, the breeding side of it, because uh, yesterday uh, the... 2022 ready-to-run sale wrapped up at Karaka, uh, marking the first time international buyers were on site for three years, which is fantastic, and apparently they didn't hold back either. Hong Kong's arm of uh, Australia's John Foot Bloodstock uh, paid a whopping $625,000 on lot 258, a chestnut colt by Capitalist out of Sabrina, um, and there were many other highlights to talk about as well, so uh, who better to go to than Jessie Gower from uh, New Zealand Bloodstock. Good morning to you, Jessie. Good morning, Smithy. Hey, nice to talk yes, to you. Actually, I've been, uh, I've been following your work, actually, because I've been in Australia uh, for uh, the first part of, and your build-up towards the, uh, the Karaka sales, of course, and I was watching your interviews you were doing with the likes of the Australian uh, trainers and buyers that have, have come over. Uh, they were playing it on racing.com over there, so great to see that. But, yes, certainly that was a feature, wasn't it, having those overseas buyers back, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Look, we were chuffed, Smithy. It's just been, it's been like a family reunion, really, on the grounds at Caracas. Um, we had all the ingredients. You know, it was 
beautiful. The complex was gorgeous. The quality of the horses was extremely high. And we had our and we had our internationals pouring in the gates, just as we had our wonderful domestic buyers as well. So you know everyone was back together, and and the, we had the ingredients, and then we just you know we, with that first morning before we kick off selling, I can't help it, despite everything you know having done everything we can, and all of the indicators showing that it should be successful, you just had butterflies until you know until they start selling and you start seeing those results coming through. So um, I have to say we were really chuffed. Um, it was a sale of two halves. Uh, you've probably heard that already because it, it really is the mm. mantra from coming out of these these two days of selling um, more than 250 horses, um, and um, it is it well actually nearly nearly three uh, 200 horses sold. We catalogued over 300 and we offered uh, 257. So um, we we had a good first day. And we had an exceptional second day. Um, our, our managing director Andrew Seabrook commented that mm. it was the uh, it was the most epic day of um, selling his witness in his thirty years um, of ready-to-run sale horses. Because of course these are two-year-olds. That's not like our yearling mm. sales in in, mm. in January when we're offering the younger stock. These are actually two-year-olds who have been educated. They've been broken in. They've actually been ridden, and the buyers, buyers can see them galloping. And it's just, it's just a diff, slightly different market than our yearling sales. We have fireworks, our yearling sales, and, and incredible clearance rates. We do often, um, whereas we, it's just slightly different. And we just could not believe what was happening yesterday. It was mind blowing. It was amazing. Uh, uh- I was going to ask you, Jesse, to define the difference between um, your yearling sales, which, of course, are not too far away either. We'll get onto that shortly. But um, the ready-to-run definition for the the uninitiated, the ready-to-run suggests yeah. that you know they are older horses. They are, in fact, not that far away from trialling and starting. Absolutely, and actually, there are a handful of the horses that were offered over the past two days that actually have gone to the trials, which is hugely helpful and beneficial for a prospective buyer. Um, to be able to even gain that sort of insight, so it's a it's a it's a sale where people can have a lot of certainty. Buyers can think can see the action of a horse because we film them as well. We can actually we have them all come to, to our race course in October, about four weeks prior to the sale itself, and we film the horses and time them galloping over 200 metres of turf at Tirapa, and then we upload those videos onto our website and whatnot, and mm. um, the, buyers, the buyers can watch them, and they do, they really do. They get the popcorn out, they sit down, and they just watch, it's like their favourite things to do, and see the action of these horses, make their notes, and then they come and see them in the flesh, either on the farm parades or when they get to Caraca and, and see them parade there before the sale. So they've got all these extra insights and and um, these horses are developed, they are ready to go um, and you can start seeing results. I mean, your mate Izzy Dag, for example, he's a, he's a prime example of this. Um, his horse Pungo, he bought it um, bought it last year's Ready to Run sale and it was up and running this spring and getting them some really exciting results. Mm-hmm. So it's a really quite quick turnaround. Um, they can even race them, you know, they can race them now. They, they're ready to go. Um, Traditionally, New Zealand produces uh, a horse that needs a little bit more time, but not always. Um, and some of our preparers, they actually look for a bit more speed um, in these in these two-year-olds that are being offered at the sale um, in order to meet the sort of the faster demand, quicker turnaround kind of market that you might find in Hong Kong, for example. Uh, and they mm. clearly managed to get the ingredients right there as well, because Hong Kong put their hand up a lot. We were gobsmacked really they were very they made their presence felt in a big way um they accounted for now where are my notes here because it's quite extraordinary they they accounted for 10.7 million dollars worth of spend um and they purchased 40 horses so they um 
that was huge, huge from them, great showing. Um, Australia was very present as well. Uh, and the domestic market was a touch quieter, but still we had, our, we had our local buyers there, headed up actually by Forsman Racing. So everyone mm. knows about Andrew Forsman's epic spring that he's had. He's only been training in his own name since, I think, April. And, um, and he's had such a huge spring, both in New Zealand and across the Tasman, um, that you can imagine he's had a bit of interest from prospective owners and he had a little bit, he had a book to, uh, you know, he had some orders to fill, um, for his stable and, and he actually accounted for the second top lot across the sale. Uh, he bought a beautiful Savabelle, um, uh, Colt, um, for 575,000 on the first day. So, um, great to see some of that stock staying in New Zealand as well. Jesse, uh, tell us about uh, some of the featured sires and the sires that uh, produce the good results there because we're used to the bigger names, of course, but uh, what about the newer sires produce and their progeny? Yeah, look, it's um, it's pretty exciting. So we've got, um, like for example, Turn Me Loose. I think he's a really good example. He's a relatively young sire. His oldest, uh, his oldest progeny of three. Um, and it's a, it's a really good anecdote, I think, is that I interviewed Rodney Schick um, on like the second day of book two at Caracas just this year in, in March. And um, he'd sold this lovely Turn Me Loose filly for 220000 And he was chuffed. But he was like, you know, Jesse, watch this space. We actually, he's got a big weekend coming up. He's you know, got, a, got a runner in the group one. He's got a couple of stakes in stakes race in Australia. And what do you know? Lickety Split comes out and takes out the group one mm-hmm. for mistakes. And everyone's like, oh, turn me loose. And everyone that has purchased turn me looses that week prior were like, Oh my goodness, we're sitting on a gold mine here, you know, and he's gone on and done more. And so now attention's turned this, this, this top young guy and, um, and his prices reflect that. So, so Windsor Park were really chuffed with the results he achieved in the sales ring over this, um, over the past few days because that's a wonderful indicator to how the buyers are going to respond to him actually at Caraca for the yearling sale. So it's very exciting, mm-hmm. really, really cool to see the way those sort of things pay out. Um, and also, um, Al Mansour, um, uh, the lovely stallion that stands at Cambridge Stud, he's had a fantastic spring. I mean, he took out the VRC Derby um, with Mansour. And so, again, no surprises that he had some great results in the sales ring because his horses, his, his, his progeny have been performing on racetrack as well. So you can see these indicators coming and he, he, he wound up um, uh, third on the size table overall for the sale uh, with a top price of 475000 Um So... Great to see these young boys putting their hand up. Um, you know, our, 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 our stallions in New Zealand, they're really well received and it's just so good for our industry to have these good sires with their horses going into really good stables because then that gets them, you know, if they're going into the right hands, they're trained well, prepared well and they tend to race well and then it's one of those sort of self-perpetuating cycles. It's brilliant. Jesse, uh, what was the clearance rate overall? And, and of course, the clearance rate is at time of sale. Uh, or, or of the sales, of course, but there's so much work that goes in post those ones for the ones that are passed in as well, isn't there? Yeah, there totally is. And, um, and this is a really interesting illustration. So the um, first day of selling uh, finished on 65% clearance. 
but um, but a lot of business happens after hours too. So you know the lights go out, the horses go into their boxes, and um, and everyone has a beer. Um, but then some deals get struck, and there was actually quite a significant deal that was struck. I think it was three hundred and fifty thousand dollars for. I think lot 140. Um, some some lads got together. They were speaking to Sam Beetson from Riversy Park, and he was like, you know, this horse was just overlooked in the ring today. I was he was really surprised it hadn't sold. And he's a wonderful judge. Uh, he rides all of his own horses, as many of our our savvy preparers do. They know their horses inside out because they're actually up on their backs, like learning about these horses um, day in and day out. And he, so he's well trusted. And so a group of buyers actually cobbled together and did a deal over a beer. And then by, by 7.30 a.m. the next morning, I saw uh, Andy Williams uh, turn up. And he was like, yep, signed that one up already. And so our clearance rate had ticked up again before selling even started on day two. Um, day two was just, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it was insane. We had 83% clearance on day two, which brought our mm. overall clearance rate up to 76% at close of selling on day two. Um, so really good at, um, for the style of sale. It's, it's fantastic. Um, and where there will be more selling done. So that all those horses that passed in in the ring, that doesn't by no means mean they aren't going to find a new home. It's just a matter of negotiations uh, happening over the coming days and weeks. Um, and NZB's bloodstock agents work really hard to marry up the right bars with the right with the right horses, and um, and get those horses into their new homes and new stables. And so yeah, that will clear, that will certainly uh, increase over the coming weeks. Jesse sounds uh, great on on the score of the this ready to run sale, of course, but. Uh, your next project is not that far away, of course, and that is the, the yearling sales. How are the catalogues coming together? At what stage are you at for that? So the catalogues have been done. They went off to the printers. Um, all the details and pedigrees went off to the printers last week. So it's a hectic time. But it really runs well, and the cataloguing of yearling sales clashes beautifully for us. Um, and then we released the catalogues for the yearling sales on Monday. So... Very exciting, and no, everyone just can't wait to get their hands on those and have a look, have a look through them. They'll be online uh, probably from late Sunday night. Um, so you know, Monday is when it when it all really starts happening. Um, there'll be uh, tours uh, with buyers, prospective buyers, um, going out to the farms to look at these, have first looks at these lovely yearlings that are being prepared ahead of the January sale. Um, and mm. the momentum is just going to increase um, as we as we go like uh, head first into into the sales at the end of January. Um, the the catalogues, uh, by all accounts, very strong this year. A lot of very, very good horses are packed into book one, and that means book two has got some extreme quality as well. So two really strong books. Um, the anticipation's building. I mean, look, everyone I spoke to around the grounds over the last few days, they're chomping at the bit to get back again in, in January. They're super excited, and so I just you know, can't wait. We can't wait for the, for the big one. Um, there are going to be about 100, uh, uh, one, oh, 1,100 horses catalogued overall for the oh. six days of selling. That's staggering, yeah. 1,100 horses. How, how do you differentiate uh, between the, the books? How, 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 at what point and what are the defining factors that differentiate horses going into those different types of sales? Yeah. It's, I mean, look, you know, there are some that are just really obvious um, choices, but there are two, two, there are two primary factors. It's how the horses look. So it's on type. What, what does the horse look like? You know, um, is it really is it a, a good-looking horse? Does it walk well? Um, is, is it, does it have good muscle? Um, is it well-balanced? All of those things. So how they look in, in person. And then also there's the pedigree. So what's on the page? What's in its blood? What does the blood tell us about the horse? And 
everyone does this differently, um, but a lot of a lot of people um, assessing a horse want to see the horse first and make their notes on what the horse looks like before the pedigree influences their judgment too much. Because um, if you think you know it's packed full of blue blood, you probably want to sit, don't want to see a wonky knee or something like that, you know. So it's mm. really um, it's really interesting. So they know, but they they the the vendors they they're astute and they 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 offer up their top top horses and then together with our bloodstock agents they're they're assessed and put into the catalogues and you know it's it's um it's it isn't a perfect formula. There are some interesting results that come out of these sales. Some incredible horses have come from our book too in the past um mm. and but also the book one you know that's pretty tried and true and 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 it um a lot of success comes out of that book as well so um good buyings to be had in both um you certainly wouldn't want to overlook anything in book two um it just is a bit of an indicator that you might be able to get a bit more value from that sale um yeah but um but no that a lot of success comes from both books so you, you can't uh, make too much of a firm judgment on that so, and you see, um, just finally, um, on the back of the yeah. overseas interest and the ready to run, um, have you had overseas interest confirmed uh, and very positive in terms of the yearling sale coming up? Yes, no, absolutely. So I was taking bookings, I was passing on bookings for our hotel um, right throughout the last few days of the ready to run sale. Um, there's, there is there's a lot of a lot of internationals have confirmed um, that they're, they're wanting to book at our beautiful Double Tree by Hilton at Caraca, um, a beautiful hotel that's actually on site there at Caraca, which we gave a good um, test run over the past few days, um, and mm. also um, and in the city as well. Some of them love the nightlife and, and love having the, the you know, all the options of being in town. So yeah, that's that's very much happening, and I feel like. Um, the momentum that's come from this British run sale has kind of made them think, crikey, I better get in there, lock it in. And so, um, especially with actually some of the work I was just doing with our, with our coverage over into Australia with racing.com, you know, it was curious. I'd, I'd, one of our, um, videos would go up and then my phone would ring. So very much, um, responsive to that. And I, I think with those, based on those indicators, um, we can, we can have, take heart that they're coming in droves and, um, it should be a good one. The, the other thing um, as well, it's a, it's, uh, it's a sale always associated with Ellerslie, uh, of course, and the, and the big high-profile races attached around it, mm. uh, but it's, it's yeah. with a difference this time around, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So the Caraca Million Series, which is our, our, our lucrative sort of incentive race series um, that's associated with our yearling sales and horses sold at Caraca. So you can nominate horses that are sold, yearlings that are sold at Caraca, for the Correct Million race series, and usually the race series, which which features a, a two-year-old million-dollar race, a three-year-old million-dollar race, and then a staying race, usually they are hosted um, on the eve of of book one selling. So it's this brilliant kind of uh, formula where we have all everyone's arrived. We have a beautiful cocktail party at Ellerslie. We're on the lawn there, and we're watching horses only sold last year or the year prior racing for a million dollars and it's just the most incredible endorsement of the stock um, that have come out of the previous sales and um, it's a wonderful way of launching our sales series but this year things are a bit different Um, the Karaka Million is going to be at Pukekohe Park and the the race meeting will be the week prior to the yearling sales so we don't have that fun kind of connection this year but that's, that's the only time that will happen We'll be back to the to the to the usual um, sort of arrangement where um, the the cracker million will be on the eve of the sales in the future from 2024. Jesse, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the update uh, on this very successful sale. It's just uh, had 
uh, you've had and, and of course uh, what's coming up uh, in January. Look forward to perhaps having another chat to you closer to that. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, well done. Thanks, Matthew. Bye. Je- Jess, uh, Jesse Gower there from New Zealand Bloodstock with all the info, of course, on that uh, ready-to-run sale, which was fantastic. Gr- uh, wonderful clearance rates in the end, and they'll still be selling them as we speak. The negotiations will keep on going. And I would imagine that the, the bar at that Hilton got a decent old working over. They like the social side of things, so those trainers and buyers. It is 10.20 here on SENZ. We have a panel coming up uh, very shortly with uh, Lavina Good and Ross Carl. Lavina Good has already went ready, poised to make comment on a number of issues, uh, Lavina, and uh, really important on the back of uh, the, the uh, Black Ferns last weekend. The Kiwi Ferns are in action in their grand final this weekend against Australia. It's in Manchester on uh, Saturday, 1.15pm kickoff, local time, 2.15 New Zealand time, New Zealand uh, 2.15am. What have you made of uh, their progress in this tournament and what chance do you give them? Yeah, outstanding, I reckon. I, I've watched most of their games. I'm looking forward to, to watching yet another Australia versus New Zealand final in the Women's World Cup of Rugby League. Um, they were impressive against the Aussies in the pool place, Smitty. They only lost by two, but they certainly had the Jillaroos on the back foot. And as most rugby league fans would know, that the Australian women's team are the two times defending champions. And I think they scraped through their semi-final 82-0 against Papua New Guinea. So uh, it was a bit tougher, the semi-final uh, for the Kiwi Ferns as they, they came up against England. But it was interesting hearing the comment from coach Ricky Henry just yesterday saying that he wasn't that happy with the team's performance. It was a convincing victory, but they still made 15 errors against England and only had a completion rate of 64%. But on the end of that, he did say, if we don't make as many errors and that completion rate can increase, then for sure we've got a great chance of winning the first World Cup for these women since 2008. He has he has made a few changes. We'll see Maddie Bartlett come in and also... Charlotte Scanlon. So their, their change is not from the semi-final, but from the last time that they played Australia in that pool play match. But most most of the responsibility and all eyes will be on Racine McGregor, who is by far the best female rugby league player in the world at this stage. She, she plays for the Roosters at the moment in the NRLW. She spent a couple of seasons winning um, premierships with the Broncos. She was named as the Dally M Player of the Year, so that NRLW competition, and has also just been named the Golden Boot Player of the tournament for the Rugby League World Cup. So she's the one to watch. She's the one that the Aussies are all talking about. She's the one that they'll all try and nullify and stop being the orchestrator. But at this stage, if she plays like the performances I've seen her so far in the, the tournament, she's such a rare player, Smitty. She is so difficult to shut down, and she's a one of a kind and I think she'll prove that that golden that golden boot accolade and come out and have a good chance of taking out this Australian side that are very, very wary of the Kiwi Ferns. Lavina Good with her thoughts on uh, the Women's uh, Rugby League World Cup final. Of course, we've got the men's uh, coming up this weekend as well. I'll come back to you on that, uh, Lavina, very shortly. Uh, Ross Carl, of course, from uh, Sky Sport uh, joins us. Uh, uh, Ross, uh, also a big weekend for the All Blacks. Uh, for me, a very much a defining game. I'm not sure if it is for you in terms of the calendar year of rugby. It's been a, a turbulent one, which includes now Brodie Retallick playing his 100th Test match. How do you see this going? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I'm glad the All Blacks have picked their best side because it's became patently obvious in the last few weeks that there's a big difference between the number one side and when they rotate players in and out. World Rugby has become far too close. The teams that used to be beaten by 40 points by a second-string All Black team will now almost all knock off an All Blacks team. So they just can't really afford to rotate that much on the end-of-year tour. Um, But from what we saw against Wales and from what we've seen... As we've gone through the year, the development within this top team, I'm I'm happy to see what they've picked. And I think they should go in as favourites. I think England have been a little bit patchy. Um, They certainly were good against Japan. But, you know, that all-black team on paper looks really, really strong. And with Geordie Barrett at 12, they've got that ability to get over the game line. Um, With Brody Retallick back, they'll have that, I suppose, impetus in and around the rucks and the malls. And they're they're starting to win breakdowns, Smithy. They're starting to win at the breakdown, mm. which was their big issue. They're starting to get go forward ball because of it. And I, I think that they should go well this weekend. Okay. And uh, where does Brody Retallick sit for you, Ross, in the pantheon of all black great locks? Uh, I think he has to be at the top, doesn't he? You know, when you look at his skill set and the 10 years that he's put into the jersey, the fact that he's a tight forward that has won World Rugby Player of the Year, you know, where they like to ignore anyone who's not a first five or a, a speedy back or a loose forward. You know, tight forwards mm. just don't win that. And that shows Brody, I suppose, has all those amazing skills and athleticism, but he also brings that incredible niggle, doesn't he? he? He loves to get into the opposition. And when you talk to players, they talk about how he brings that at training as well. He's one of those guys that makes sure that the all-black training during the week is at a high level because he just doesn't have an off button. So to me, I think he's right at the top. He's the number one. Look, I didn't watch Colin Mead's um, play. I'm not sure it's easy to compare amateur professional errors, but certainly within the professional era, he's number one. Okay, good uh, good assessment there too. And um, a lot of people, I would imagine, would agree with it. There might be some cannery people think Sam Whitelock might be a, a a touch ahead of him, we'll see um, We've got Ross Carl and uh, Lavina Good with us uh, this morning folks on the panel We'll take a very quick break for some news From Araha and when we come back uh, There's a little matter of uh, Rugby League Men's World Cup to sort out as well this weekend Lavina will have opinions on that I am sure Ross Carl with us this morning As is Lavina Good and Lavina Good I'll uh, put this to you, a month ago I would have said to you, Australia Will play Samoa in the Rugby League Men's World Cup final, you would have Laughed at me surely, what do you make of this? Yeah mate, I would have Laughed at you if you said in the T20 That England would have gone through the semi-final Without losing a wicket as well, so this is This is <laughs> crazy stuff that's Happening in, in the world of sport, I, like they're the sentimental favourites. Somehow, they've never been in a World Cup final for Australia, uh, three times defending champions. But as we saw Australia playing against the Kiwis, they certainly look disjointed at the moment. There's, there doesn't seem to be the synergy that we've seen from the Aussies in the past. And I think the issue might be with Nathan Cleary and Cameron Munster not having that six-seven connection. They're both show ponies. They both like to rule the show, and neither of them wants to be the distributor. They both want to be the impact player. So. When your halves aren't, aren't connecting, uh, it doesn't look good for the, the Australian side. But I actually didn't even think Samoa would be able to beat Tonga. And I thought that was an outstanding clash. And to come out and, and say goodbye to England and then and get a place in this final, it set, certainly is a recipe for some exciting rugby league 
that will take place. And I think it's the key matchups. Like I mentioned Cameron Munster before, but he'll be up against Jerome Luai. And I just think that in itself is, is enough for people to, to make sure that they get out of bed and see what's going on at Old, Old Trafford. And then if you look at the big lads up front, Regan Campbell-Gillard up against Junior Polo. Uh, and that, that in itself is enough to make you think, wow, they've got a good chance somehow to try and to try and stop an, an Australian side that has not put in their best performance so far. When New Zealand played against Australia in that semi-final, I thought New Zealand had a great chance to go through because Australia had not been tested and the Kiwis certainly had. So their chance came and went. I still feel as though Australia do not look like they're a side that um, should be world champions. So it would be a little ironic if they defeated uh, Samoa. And I think when you look at what's going to happen at the weekend, I see that the, the uh, South Auckland Township of Otara are going to get together and Manurewara and they're all going to get together and have a massive party before this final and uh, try and send all their love and great wishes overseas to Old Trafford to see if they could do the unbelievable, and that is take out the world champions. And all they have to do is try not make as many mistakes as Australia that's making plenty of mistakes, play with passion and pride, which we know they can, and, and listen to the words of advice from the people from their nation. It's a sporting mad nation, Samoa. And I really do believe if, if some of those players can tap into that passion from what's happening from thousands of kilometres away, it could be very well the upset of the sporting rugby league world. Wow, yeah, I think you're right. but it's And I also agree that you're right. It's, it's on the cards because that has been the trend of this tournament so far. Uh, Ross, I'd like to come to you on a matter that um, you, I know you have an opinion on and, and that we, we, we don't really have to continually leave our match officials alone. Uh, you know, we're entitled to, to have a crack at their performance every now and then, but we can't, uh, we, we really are taught as broadcasters not to overstep the mark as such. Uh, Rassi Erasmus is not a broadcaster, but it seems he's overstepped the mark again. Oh, yeah. Look, he, you know, he was banned last year after all of the hijinks through the Lions. And because he's set up this amazing system where he's the coach, but he's not officially the coach. He's got Jack Neen over there. He thinks that he can almost get away with anything he likes. And he posts these tweets and they're all aimed at the rest. And he thinks he's being very smart by saying, oh, we have to fix these fundamental errors like tackle technique and simple passing. Then he posts a video about a ref missing a mistake. And he thinks that he's, because he's not saying the words, he's not doing it. So I'm really glad that World Rugby stepped in overnight and banned him for two games. He's only banned from going to the ground and he's banned from doing anything in the media or on social media. So he doesn't really cop anything and he sees himself as a bit of a hero. And he, he's almost, you know, like Donald Trump. He, he sees himself as a guy who can call out the authorities and do whatever he likes with, with zero implications. And, you know, there is a system set up for teams to complain about refs. They have the ability to talk through the week. They have the ability to talk about incidents and situations, to talk before games about things they'd like the ref to see. Coming out and slamming these guys publicly week on week on week, it's just no good because we need the refs. You know, and yes, they need to do things well. Um, they should probably have more of a right of reply, to be honest. You know, uh, that's probably my opinion. I know I've talked to Ben O'Keefe about it. He would like the ability that on a Tuesday or Wednesday, after reviewing the game, that he can come out in the media and talk through the things he got right and wrong. Um, so we don't have to end up in a situation where people like Rassi Erasmus are just having a crack at them week in, week out. It's, it's childish, it's petulant, 
And it's really grossly unfair to a group of people who really don't have a right of reply right now. Mm, okay, um, that's interesting in its own right. And I've never really, uh, I don't think, uh, had a right of reply. And uh, that, of course, is because their governing body as such doesn't want them to be exposed to that, I'm pretty sure. Um, Lavina, here's an interesting one. Uh, he has dug his toes in, he has relented, he's given up uh, opportunities to win tournaments. I'm talking Novak Djokovic here. But uh, finally, the Australian government have turned around and said, OK, uh, it's OK for you to come back this year, Novak, and you can play in the Australian Open. Here's your visa. Wait, what? Wasn't he deported? <laughs> Wasn't he deported <laughs> at the start of the year? And anyone in Australia that gets a ban from a visa and gets de- deported... It's a minimum of three years before they're allowed back in the country. But obviously, if uh, politics gets involved and you've got a new Minister of Immigration, the rules change and so do the goalposts. And, uh, yeah, the Australian Tennis Committee have obviously been uh, tapping on the door of the government saying, we need the nine-time winner of this tournament back and we need to forget about masks, we need to forget about vaccinations. In fact... Let's just forget about when we deported the best player in the world earlier in the year. Let's welcome him with open arms. And it is Djokovic's most successful Grand Slam tournament. And he, he's won it the last few times, obviously, Nadal won when he wasn't playing earlier this year. But he, he appealed. He wanted to come back. And I, I'm sure the tennis fans that will be attending um, in Melbourne will be rewarded by being able to watch one of the best. But it just shows you there's some rules for some, Smitty, and there's other rules for others. Yeah, and, and, and on that subject too, uh, Lavina, the women's uh, draw, we're talking to Nicholas Lamperin this morning, of course, he's the tournament director for the ASB Classic. Uh, Emma Raducanu's name added to an impressive list. Uh, this women's tournament uh, for the first year back after COVID looks a very strong one. Radakona is a massive, massive scorer, isn't it? I mean, she's, we know she reached the career high of number 10 in the um, Tennis Association, but, you know, the British number one, just to even tout her name as might be coming is enough to get people excited. I really love the ASB Classic. I think it's an outstanding competition. It's at a great time of year here in New Zealand. Everyone's on holiday. The, the sun is hopefully shining, and the fans will obviously enjoy having her here. But it's, and it's an exciting tournament. To me, I've always preferred it to the... Um, the counterparts, the male counterparts of the Heineken Open, I've always thought the classic was magnificent tennis and it, it just shows that we can, can have world-class players and it's enough of those mm. tennis fans to think that they've got something to chew their teeth on throughout January. I reckon it's a real coup. Well done to the organisers. Yeah, and Ross, the, the interesting thing that comes out of that is usually when you have <coughs> big-name players come uh, in any sport, it, it tends to inspire people to action. Uh, but I just wonder, where are our tennis players? Uh, I just got a text in to say, you know, we've got golfers that uh, do well on the world stage when they're inspired by what they see from uh, overseas players, etc. Golf's very strong. Tennis uh, just seems to be a vacuum there. Yeah, I think tennis players are only as good as the players they play against, right? So to, to lift yourself to another level where you've got to constantly playing upper-level competition. I, I remember going to school with um, a few different tennis players who were world-ranked at a high school level, and they had to travel. They were on the road all the time. Their parents had to be wealthy enough to fund it, to get around the world and play some competition so they could play against people they would need to play against at a high level. So you know, the Europeans, et cetera, have got that quite easily. It's, it's hard for New Zealand geographically to do that. I think, And when comparing it with golf, it's you versus the golf course, not you against anybody else, is it? So 
you know, you could probably be good at golf anywhere in the world as long as you've got, you know, some half-decent coaching and, and, a, and a course to play on. Um, whereas I think with tennis, that there just is really a lack of depth that leads to even more of a lack of depth because you've got no one to play against. Ross, it seems like about five minutes ago we were talking about the T20 World Cup and tonight uh, we're talking about uh, the Black Caps playing against a, a relatively depleted Indian side. Pretty hard to get excited uh, about it, is it, or not? Um, yeah, I mean, because India's here and the crowds will be really good, I, I think it can still be an exciting event. But, you know, from a straight up and down watching the team point of view, if Virat Kohli's not here, how many people are going to be turning on their television? You know, that's, that makes a massive difference to your casual fan. Uh, are they going to be really interested in it? Um, the Black Caps have got a pretty strong squad, don't they? But... You know, when you've got Hardik Panya leading the side and not Virat Kohli, you, you kind of have to, you know, shake your head a little bit. But this is what international cricket is now, right? It's You're not going to have the best teams all the time. You're not going to have Kane Williamson always playing. Trent Bolt's going to have something better to do at some point. Uh, we're going to have to start getting used to the fact that it's watered down regularly and it's probably going to get worse and worse and worse as more high-paid leagues join and people like Trent Bolt jump off to join them um, because the money's there and the future's there and you know what are three T20s against India in comparison to making a billion dollars and you probably won't remember these T20s because you play so much cricket you know the money's mm. the memorable part in your bank account. Absolutely right money is a huge factor uh, and on that subject uh, your fellow Bayer Plenty resident uh, Lavina Good has uh, lost his gig at the Sunriser uh, Sunrise's Hyderabad, so a couple of million dollars down the gurgler there. But uh, I just wonder, uh, he's almost been untouchable, Kane Williamson, for the right reasons, um, because he's been so bloody good for us over a long period of time. But all of a sudden, Kane Williamson at number three in our T20 side, Lavina Good. He's always been Mr. Reliable, my old buddy up the road. Always been Mr. Reliable and always needed him when we need him. But it was interesting, Craig McMillan coming in out and questioning Kane Williamson's place in the T20 due to his low stroke rate. And I think if we've learned something from this T20 competition, I guess with the whole out with the old, in with the new might be happening. Like Martin Guptill was dropped in the first place. Trent Bolt, after saying that in August he wanted to opt out of his national uh, contract, he's not considered for the T20 series. And I just think we are having that changing of the guard. I, I think every cricket fan in New Zealand would expect and accept Finn Allen and Devin Conway as being the first choice openers. So there is a changing of the guard and, and our captain isn't getting any younger and he's always been Mr. Reliable. But I guess it'll come down to a decision on whether or not he's playing 2050 or test cricket. And at the moment, a few people are critiquing him in terms of not having a quick enough or, or, or strike rate that would be acceptable uh, for this style of the game. I'm a massive fan of him, and I, I hate to turn against the player just because um, the rules change a little bit. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of reflection for Kane in terms of what's happening in the future, and all eyes will be on him at first drop to see what I can do with the bat and how good that strike rate is. Yeah, And it was interesting what Ross mentioned as well in terms of I'm really looking forward to the T20s. There's a match here at Bay Oval on Sunday, although there's a chance of... Um, you know, 50% chance of rain, so I'm not sure what, what's going to happen there. But it's not just Coley that they're missing, it's also Shami and Ashwin. And I, I love him mm. as a spin bowler. I would turn up to watch him alone. And the fact that three key players are missing is just a little bit disrespectful, I think, to some of the cricket fans here in New Zealand that really want to watch the world's best. 
Totally agree. Absolutely, totally agree. Uh, Ross Carl, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Lavina, good. I'm going to leave you on a note from uh, Carolyn, who has just texted in and said, Good by name, great by ability, always really enjoy listening to Lavina on your show, Smithy. So there you go. I have a fan. I've got a fan. All right. I've got one. <laughs> you, you, have more than, you have more than one, as do you, Ross Carl. Thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. It's been uh, fantastic. It's 10.47 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Time for a couple of texts here, actually. Uh, Carlos has come in and said, after listening to Nicholas Lamper and espousing the upcoming ASB Classic, he was almost at a loss for words when asked what local New Zealand talent might we see on show. In short, we don't have anyone. If you ask the average person on the street who is New Zealand professional Ajit Shankar Rai, you'll be lucky if anyone knows he's our highest-ranked tennis player. Gone are the days of Chris Lewis, Kelly Evenden, Brett Stephen, Marina Arakovic. Why has tennis declined in popularity in New Zealand? We have good junior golfers competing around the world. However, we are virtually invisible internationally in tennis. Carlos, that is a wonderful question, and it's very, very hard to find an answer. I don't understand it. Our tennis courts, um, I understand, are, are pretty damn good. They're the same size as every other one around the world. Uh, the net's the same height. And we just can't produce the players. And I'm at a loss as to, as to why. Uh, do we need to invest more money in it? Do we need to get them more overseas competition? Uh, how do we bring them up to speed? It's as simple as that, Carlos. It's a hell of a valid question, and I thank you for that. Um, Smithy uh, from Kevin. Uh, Ian Jones, in an interview on your station, commented on uh, saying that Takiyahu's work rate could be higher, inclined to be a plum picker, which looks good on TV. He said this after watching the Melbourne Test live this characteristic would not endear him to Jason Ryan. It is an interesting selection for me, uh, the fact that uh, Cody Taylor starts ahead of the form hooker this year. And uh, very briefly, Brendan has said, fans getting shortchanged with Indians, top players not here. Yeah, I, I think so. I really do think so. We've uh, got, apart from uh, Trent Bolt, we've pretty much got our, our top side, um, as we should do at home. But the Indian fans uh, have been shortchanged. If this series was in India, would they be allowed to get away with it? I doubt it. I doubt it, Brendan. I think you've nailed something there as well. It's 10.53 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.58 here on SENZ. A couple of minutes to spend with uh, Pip Morris uh, here from uh, the TAB, of course. And Pip uh, Greyhounds at Addington and Palmerston North today. And a wealth of sports betting over the weekend available. Yeah, there certainly is, Smithy. Good morning to you. Can tell you Samoa is certainly still the most popular as far as the Rugby World League final goes. And Pukakoi, we've got Group 3 and Group 2 action for the uh, Gallup side of things. And I can tell you Babylon Berlin and the County's Bowls the best back by far across both domestic meetings. She's at $3.50 there at Pukakoi. Nice form around her through beating uh, and behind Levante and Rockin' Horse last time. Bonus back blitz is back across the weekend as well, Smithy. So, so much to look forward to. Check out OK, yeah, Pip Morris there. Follow all those options, of course, including the All Blacks and the Black Caps as well. Uh, we've had a very strong hour of uh, women's sport. We're going to continue with that too after the break with Betsy Hassett. Look forward to that. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
It is 11.02 here on SENZ in the mornings and the football ferns have wrapped up their two-match series with South Korea and Christchurch after going down 1-0 in the first match, came away with a one-all draw in the second. Uh, next, of course, in their sights will be the USA, the all-powerful USA, uh, when they come here in January. But before that, members of the football ferns now return to the A-League with that season starting this weekend, including the Phoenix starting and uh, joining their ranks this year is uh, one of our greatest ever women footballers, and Betsy Hassett, who's uh, good enough to give us some time this morning. Betsy, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi. Hey, hey cool to talk to you. Um, you were in camp, and you've had those uh, games last weekend, of course, and we hear that you were quite inspired by the Black Ferns and what they were able to achieve, well, bearing in mind your big year is starting very shortly. Yeah, they they came to our second game in Christchurch. It was so cool of them and nice to chat to them after the game. And oh, I'm so proud of those girls. And it was so cool to to yeah, just have a have a chat with them and how they're feeling after that big win. What was the feeling in in the group watching them win? Because um, you know, whilst uh, they were uh, a chance, a really uh, you know viable chance to go on and and go well in the tournament. You perhaps your your squad are not quite so uh, highly um, ranked in terms of um, the, the world of football. So expectations slightly different for you. But how inspiring was it? Oh, it was it was so cool to watch them and see the whole stadium, Eden Park, sold out. Um, we're hoping that can be the same for us. And um, it was so cool just to see whole of New Zealand behind the team and. We're just really, really hoping that that can be the same same for us. So um, super cool to see them, see them winning, and hopefully, yeah, like I said, we can do New Zealand proud as well. Betsy, you've had a stellar career, uh, particularly overseas. Uh, you what, uh, 128, uh, at least maybe 135 now performances for the football ferns, which is staggering. But you've had time at Man City, Werder Bremen, Ajax, uh, amongst uh, many other franchises you've worked in on the back of um, a college football career as well. And all of a sudden you find yourself back home at the Phoenix. How did this come around? Oh, it was quite out of the blue, really. Just a few months ago, it became the opportunity and um, I thought, you know, I'm getting near the end of my career, so why not be in the first, first professional women's team in New Zealand? I've always wanted to do that as a little kid. So um, I'm super excited to be here and play in this, this first time we've been going to be based in New Zealand playing and inspire young girls. And that's something that I wanted when I was a kid. So I'm super stoked to be able to be part of it now. Last year, they were put together very quickly, uh, almost at, at the last minute. Um, but this year, of course, they've had more time. And as, as you say, uh, in the knowledge that they're going to have some home games as well. Um, what were you able to glean from their first up season? And we we were quite encouraged by it back here in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was so cool that the young girls were such a young team last season, and and it was so cool to see them do quite well, um, uh, surprisingly. And I'm just this year we've got um, yeah four or five ferns on the team as well, and got a little bit more experience. So I think hopefully we can do even better than last season. Let's talk about uh, the matchup you've got this weekend. Um, how do you rate the opposition? Oh, Melbourne City. I think they'll be a pretty tough game. Great to start off with a with a big game, though. Um, excited to play against Katie Bowen and and Wilkie if she's if she's injured at the moment. But 
um, be cool to play against some ferns and the other team, um, but they'll be a tough team. So it'll be a great game to get started and looking forward to hopefully lots of people coming to watch the game. Of course, uh, coming home, you've got the ability to train in, uh, in new facilities, play on home stadiums, etc. How do you feel the build-up's gone with the Phoenix? Oh, really good so far. We've we've been in pre-season for about a month. Um, so the girls, I, I haven't been there too long myself because I came from Iceland but um, and been in camp with the Ferns, but I've had a good couple of weeks with them and um, everyone's looking sharp and it's really cool to get to know the young girls. I haven't, haven't met a few of them before. So, um, yeah, we're, we're looking sharp and fresh and ready to go. First season for new coach Natalie Lawrence, of course, assistant coach last time around, but... And with the, the head role, how's it coming together for Natalie, do you feel? Oh, really good. She's the nicest human. Um, all the girls love her. She's super positive and um, got, also got a really good assistant coach, Callum. Um, so I think they're going to do a really good job with us. And, yeah, I'm excited to see how things go. And, and t- let's uh, get your opinion on the, the facilities. We're hearing great things about them, and you would have trained in some pretty good facilities uh, around the world with the various teams that you've played for. Um, how, how do they rate for you? Oh, they're brilliant. Um, yeah, the, the fields are amazing, and the gym especially, huge gym. I think we share it with the Hurricanes and other uh, other teams come in and out, and oh, everything's brand new, and there's really good recovery um, pools and things so it's really world class and super cool to see see things like this coming in New Zealand um, really good for the sport here How does the league this uh, women's uh, A league compare to some of the leagues you've played in overseas uh, Well I'm not sure I've never played in it before um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to see the level compared to over in Europe and whatnot. Um, so I, I think it will be a good league, though. I'm, yeah, I, I'm not sure how it's going to be, so I'll, I'll find out on Sunday. Okay. Um, let's uh, also look at um, how it all started for you, because uh, of course you started with uh, going through the college system. Um, uh, are we still sending uh, Kiwi players, young Kiwi girls, uh, through uh, the college system? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a there's a lot of girls still in going to college, which I think is great. There was a period of time when when they were encouraged not to, um, which I didn't really agree with. I think it's a great stepping stone between uh, becoming, yeah, before going to professional environment is just to be able to study and play every day and work your way up into that professional level. So there's a few girls still doing that, and I really encourage everyone to keep doing that. It's, it was a great pathway for me, and, and I know a lot of other girls, so it's cool. What what was your time like, uh, for instance, uh, at Manchester City? I mean, you know, we know all about the the Manchester City men's side, such a high-profile side, so much money involved, etc. Can you give us a a taste of what it was like playing in the men's city uh, top women's side? Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I was in the first the first time they had a women's team there, so I think that was 2014, if I'm correct. But uh, no, it was. It was so cool. The facilities were amazing, and and it was so cool to see the see the men's the men's team training next to us and watching their games. Um, a whole different environment playing in England. Um, so no, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, and it was it was super different times. If, if Betsy, if you look back at uh, you know your career to, uh, away from the international side of things. 
what what has been the highlight? Uh, has there been an individual highlight, a, a certain time, a certain club that you were at that stands out amongst the rest? I think um, for me, I think it would have been um, Ajax, just because I've got a bit of Dutch, I've got a Dutch passport, so it was it was so nice to be playing in in Holland, and I was able to live with my brother there at the at the time, so. Um, that was really cool, and we also won the league and the cup that year that I was there. So that was a really cool overall experience, and um, such a good club, and so technical, and the coaches there are amazing. So I, that was probably my favourite club I played for. Oh, cool, interesting, actually. And you played for so many of them, and and as I said before, your your career uh, with the football ferns is right up right up there with the most prodigious of any player that we've ever produced. Uh, but where where would a, a, a football World Cup at home um, stand for you in terms of of your career? Oh, sorry, I just cut out there for a second. Could you could you I, say that one again? I was sorry. just, just going to say, where does this rank? You've had such a great career, um, you know, w- yep. with the football ferns. But playing, having the, the opportunity to play at home in a World Cup, where where would that rank for you? Oh, this is going to be the highlight. Um, Unbelievable that during my lifetime we've got a home World Cup. Um, oh, I can't wait. It's it's super cool and it doesn't happen often. So we're lucky lucky to have this, and it's and it's yeah, it's going to be the most amazing thing to play at home amongst our friends and family. Um, yeah, inspiring the younger generations to come. So it's a huge thing for New Zealand. Hey Betsy, okay, so um, a loss and a draw against uh, South Korea. So in terms of preparation, how do you feel the squad's at? Uh, um, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We have some good games coming up. Um, America in January and some Portugal, Argentina, February. Uh, lots of games in New Zealand, which is really, really nice. Haven't played in New Zealand for a long time. Um yeah, we're we're coming along nicely. Lots of improvements still, but each tour is looking better and better. So, uh, yeah, we're working hard. Style of play uh, has it evolved? Uh, is it different under Jitja uh, Tim Clover, head coach? Uh, yep, she she loves to play, so that's that's great. We want the ball. We want to keep the ball, keep position. Um, we just need to focus more on our attacking third play now. Um, keeping the ball more in the attacking third would would really benefit us in creating more and more goal-scoring opportunities. Um, Betsy, um, just finally, um, in terms of uh, the World Cup, the grouping that you've uh, we've been put in, what are you feeling about that? About what, sorry? The, the, gr- the grouping for the World Cup that we're in. The grouping? Oh, oh, um... I think it, I think it's pretty good. Uh, we've got we've we've beat Norway and Switzerland and Philippines before, so um, we're actually I think it's a great group. We we've beat them before. We can beat them again, and um, it could have been a lot worse. So although they'll be tough games, um, I think we'll be able to do well, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the USA, as you say, the USA next as well, and probably if any team has done anything for world football, um, <clears throat> it's been the USA in terms of lifting their profile. That is a massive encounter for you, the USA. Yes, yes, there'll be big games in January. Um, unfortunately, we won't have a full squad um, because it's outside of FIFA window. Um, so that will be really tough for us, but it's great to have these, these games and playing against the world top teams. So I think it'll be 
some good preparation for us and time for other people to get a run around um, on the field, like the younger girls and stuff. So, yeah, it's that's awesome. Well, Betsy, it's been great catching up with you. I'm so pleased that you've uh, chosen to, I won't say end your career, but uh, put this part of uh, putting the Wellington Phoenix on your radar as well uh, towards uh, the latter part of it and as well with the World Cup. Great to hear uh, your voice, great to hear your enthusiasm uh, and bringing it home. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Cool, thank you so much. Okay, Betsy Hassett there from uh, the Wellington Women's Phoenix team, which is in action this weekend against Wellington, uh, Melbourne City, I should say. That will be a tough encounter, um, as they all will, but this side is uh, a year under their belt. They are a year better off, um, and uh, they've got some serious preparation behind them. So uh, we're expecting some damn good things, particularly with their ability to play in front of the yellow fever at home in Wellington. That is going to be something special. It is uh, 11.15 here on SENZ in the morning. We'll be back with some Greyhound talk very shortly. Ah, a little bit of breaking news. Uh, here we are, 11.21 on a Friday morning, and what is it? Uh, this comes from Alex Chapman uh, from News Hub Smithy. Hayden Wilde has had his appeal against his Commonwealth Games penalty dismissed. His silver medal will not be upgraded. Wow, OK. A lot of people were expecting that that would be the case, of course, with that uh, transition point, wasn't it? I'm just trying to re- recall it, that transition point where... Uh, he didn't quite uh, do it with his chin strap yes. or something of that nature, and they looked at that very, very closely. And so the end result is silver only for Hayden Wild, yeah? That is correct. Silver for Hayden Wild. Okay, right. Uh, in terms of other things going on this morning, it's been a very strong women uh, women's morning, I- I've got to say, with the guests and uh, the sports that we've been talking about, and we're going to continue that theme now because, uh, of course, Lydia Coe is playing uh, in the Tour Championship the CME Group uh, to a championship with the prize money of a seven million US dollars, and I can tell you she leads after round one. Incredible performance. She is uh, at minus seven. She has a one-shot lead over a couple of uh, players, a Malaysian and uh, an American. But uh, this is what she had to say, Lydia, uh, on completion of that uh, brilliant round. Certainly a good day, but a little different in how you started it. A bogey to start, but four birdies in your last five holes. How do you assess your day? Yeah, um, I actually didn't hit that bad of a drive. I've hit worse drives off that first hole before um, and hit the tree and I was right behind it. So it was uh, almost like I hit two tee shots and then I was on my way. And I know that even though I bogeyed a par five, I knew there were plenty of holes, especially the ones coming that was going to play downwind uh, that I could birdie. So I tried to not get too frustrated about it. And, you know, the the first four holes into the wind is a beast. Uh, It's a beast without the wind uh, so I knew that if I could just hang on and just stay patient um, there was going to be a lot of opportunities and I was able to grab a lot of them in the back nine so definitely nice to finish off that way. Well certainly a lot of attention coming into this week given your position and your year how are you able to handle that kind of pressure and play with what Morgan and I have described as pretty relaxed and creative golf out there today? Yeah I was uh, actually talking to Gino um, I said hey how was it being number one was it different and obviously she's had a good year I've had a good year and um, 
I think no matter what happens this week, uh, you know, if things don't go my way and, I, and I'm not holding a trophy or, or whatever, I may be disappointed at that exact moment. But, you know, I was able to have two wins that were very special to me. And, uh, you know, I, this, is, this has been some of the most consistent golf I've played. So I can't really complain uh, and just to have this opportunity is great and you know these opportunities don't come very often so I know deep down I want to try and grab it when it's there uh, but there are so many players playing so well week in week out and I know it's not just about how I do so I'm just trying to focus on me and see where that puts me at the end of Sunday. Yeah, Lydia Ko, absolutely outstanding, leading after one round of the Tour Championship, a true legend as is our next guest as we delve into uh, the Greyhound racing industry and when you uh, hear the names uh, Dave and Jean Fahey uh, you are talking to very high profile stuff in terms of uh, the greyhound racing industry they have been synonymous with success in it for a long long period of time and uh, Dave Fahey has uh, been good enough to join us this morning uh, Dave uh, thank you very much for your time great to chat yep no worries buddy Hey, Dave, uh, in partnership with Gene, you've had an amazing uh, run of success. I mean, a few years ago, you set yourselves the, the goal of uh, training over 100 group race uh, winners uh, and then training 10 New Zealand Cup winners. You've achieved mo- uh, both, mate. It's been a sensational time for you. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, we've had, a, um, we've had a lot of luck along the way, I think, with the, um, especially on uh, New Zealand Cup night. And uh, we've got amazing stuff, and, um, yeah, it's all come together great. Tell us about your operation in, in uh, Balcan. Um, ha- how many? Uh, how's, how big's the candle at the moment? Uh, we always have thirty-four in in work, and uh, as soon as one goes, there's another one ready to come in. And then we have another property around the road, and my daughter looks after with the pups and the spelling dogs and the brew bitches and that. So um, yeah, it's quite a big operation. I was going to say, the, the number of people I talk to in the greyhound racing industry, so much of it is family-based or family, family stronghold, and that is uh, certainly the case with you, the Fahey family as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. My daughters came back from Aussie about uh, six, seven or eight years ago, and um, yeah, since then she's looked after that side of it, and uh, yeah, really enjoys it. So, uh, Dave, of late, of course, you've had uh, some uh, terrific dogs uh, in the kennel. Um, including uh, Opawa Superstar and, of course, uh, Opawa Rider, two of your better-performing dogs of late. Tell us about them. Yeah, they're both um, owned by Opawa Racing. Oh, and oh, Superstar is also owned by Alan Davison, Opawa Racing. And, um, yeah, the Superstar, he, he, he won the Auckland Cup really convincingly back in March, and uh, then he was just went off cut went off a bit he wasn't he was still going racing good but not like he had been and um it seems like now he's right back to his very best and um like he was back then so uh it was a good time to come right again dave uh, you've sent dogs or uh, taken dogs uh, to australia with success you continuing to do that uh haven't done for a while but we won a group race in wentworth park with uh, no peace and um they used to have a series with adelaide and um, Christchurch dogs and we won a couple over there as well so um, you know it was, it's been pretty good we could possibly look in this later on of taking Superstar there if he keeps going like he is 
What about the the breeding side of it, and and where you get um, you know your particular uh, dogs from predominantly? Um, are you into serious into the breeding side of it, the imp- importation of dogs, or or local? Yeah, we we did rely heavily on imported dogs, but now we we like to breed our own. And Robin Wells of Power Racing, he's having great success at the moment breeding his own as well, and uh, he's he's bred two New Zealand Cup winners, and he's had. He's had five New Zealand Cup winners of our ten. They've been from his dogs, and um, the first, yeah, the first three were Aussie imports, but in the last two have been ones he's bred himself. So yeah, it gives you, it gives a real buzz when you can take them the whole way through. You, you've got dogs entered today um, at, uh, at at Eddington Day. Just tell us what a, a race day is like uh, for yourself and Jean and, and the staff. Yeah, well, Katie's away at the moment on holiday. She's uh, she always goes to the races every, every meeting, and um, so I've been doing the hard yards this week myself. But uh, yeah, we get up at six thirty and let the dogs out and feed them. We walk walk the ones that aren't running. Usually half of them are walking, half of them are running, and um, we're usually done by ten o'clock with with exercising and all that and then just checking injuries and feeding and grooming and just fills in the rest of the day. Pretty good. Dave, you've been part of the industry for a a very long time and uh, one of the issues has always been welfare, dog welfare. It's always uh, seems to to be under scrutiny almost on a daily basis. Uh, Something you have to be very conscious of, of course. Yeah, we do. Um... Greyhound Racing New Zealand New Zealand has spent are spending millions of dollars every year on um, rehoming and gap programs. Um, yeah, things have definitely changed over the last ten ten years, and um, it's all for the better, better the better for the sport. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, they're amazing pets, and um, people people are lining up to pick them up, get them at the moment. It's great news, uh, Dave. You've, as I said, you've got someone at Eddington today. Have you? Have you got a standout? And any? Uh, I noticed in, in one of the races, you've got uh, three or four dogs entered in the one race. So, uh, have you got a, a standout opportunity today? I'd say the best bet, uh, Chatty Mavis. She's in race seven, and in the maiden race, we've got we've got two really promising young dogs, um, Apala Hugo and Let's Party. They've got tricky draws, but uh, the They've got pretty big futures, so um, the ones to definitely keep an eye on. Dave Fahey, thank you very much for your time this morning. Know you're a busy man, got plenty to do today, so uh, we'll let you go. But great to catch up with you, and uh, all the best for the continued success. Uh, a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful career uh, both you and Jean have had in it, and uh, we we salute you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Cheers, uh, Dave Fahey there uh, chatting to us uh, about his chances today and what I picked up on that, but also the background of what is uh, a massively successful kennel over the years when you look at the number of group races they've won. Uh, 10 New Zealand Cups, for instance, incredibly successful, incredibly so. Uh, you can be incredibly successful uh, right now, actually, if you get on the phone and uh, dial 0800 because it is time to sm- stump Smithy, and we're such a good mood today, Logan, Brian and myself, as a collective, our mood is so damn good, we're almost going to give it away to uh, someone today. Uh, I won't say we're not going to try, 
But being Friday, might not try just as hard as we normally would. It's 11.31. It's news time. 14.76 is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy says, we might be in a giving mood today. I think that kind of depends, Smithy, on the level of questions that Brian has set up here. But who knows? Who knows? Either you could have a something okay. and we got to $100 for Monday, or someone goes away a happy chappy for the weekend. Okay, so uh, whose first opportunity is it to be a happy chappy this morning, and what are the categories? <laughs> well, we know he's a happy chappy no matter what. Ed from Tolaga Bay, come in, mate. Hey, how's, how's everything, everybody? Welcome back, Smitty. Yeah, cheers, Ed. How's the truck driving going? Oh, uh, you know, it makes the bread and butter. Bit of jam sometimes. <laughs> bit of jam. We're going to give you a bit of jam if you can uh, get three questions right here, mate. You can get a little bit of jam for the weekend. So uh, let's uh, see what the, the categories are, Logan, this morning. And the questions this time have been set by Brian Rarity, on, who was uh, on comms for us this morning. So, uh, Logan, what are we looking at? <laughs> he also uh, acts as our third umpire on occasion, if, if needed. The topics for you today, Ed, are rugby league, rugby and baseball. Take your pick. Is that baseball World Series? <laughs> yes, it is. I'll take that one. And a boy. Yes. Finally. It's been there a long finally. time. It has. Thank you so much. All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, after today, <laughs> these questions can happily retire. Thanks to Ed. First question for you, mate. The World Series was recently won by the Houston Astros defeating the Philadelphia Phillies. How many games in the series did the Phillies win? Two. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, Smithy, I know you've been really busy with the T20 World Cup, but did you get to catch any of the World Series? Yeah, I did actually. I did actually. I, th- I thought the Phillies might go a bit better, but that uh, Houston Astros franchise is very, very strong. They are a strong baseball club. Uh, their pitching depth was just a little bit better, so um, I thought it might go down to the wire, but no, 4-2, uh, a-, a worthy result. So I watched a bit of it, yes. Sounds like it. All right, second question for you, Ed. Who was named World Series MVP? Jeremy Pinner. Oh. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, sounds like you weren't the only one that watched the World Series, Smithy. That's right, Jeremy Pena, first rookie hitter in history to win the World Series MVP. Uh, and just clutch quickly, hits. clutch hits at yeah. certain times, eh? Cool little, cool little bit of history too. Dusty Baker uh, made his debut as a Major League Baseball manager on April 6, 1993, against the Cardinals. The St. Louis leadoff hitter that day was Ger- Geronimo Pena, Jeremy's father. And now, of course, Dusty and Jeremy win a World Series together 29 years later. How cool is that? Wow. That is a, that's a that's stat. Mean. That's a hell of a stat. And a, and, a game, and a game riddled with stats, baseball, that is a heck of a stat. Brilliant. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. All right. Last question for you, Ed. $50 TAB bonus bet on the line here. You're two for two. I know normally we're talking about fours and sixes here, but so far you're hitting two home runs here. How many World Series have the Astros now won? Two. Oh. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, you knew it too, didn't you, Smithy? You knew that question. 
Yeah, I, I did, but I'm, I'm, I've actually not even been part of this. To be perfectly honest. I might as, well, might, might as well still be in Australia as, as much as I took part in that bloody quiz with Ed. He's, he's a genuine genius. No, I a genuine genius. You, uh, you are. I, I earned my one there, Smitty. I got my ones right. You did. No, there's no. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Even if you, you know, you'd have got the last first two uh, wrong and the last one right. I, I wouldn't have decried your success yet. I'm not. I'm not playing down your brilliant performance in any way in particular. All I'm saying to you is congratulations and spend the money wisely. What are you gonna? What are you gonna bet? Yep. Now those girls are paying six bucks to beat Australia. Eh? Yeah, they are. Kiwis. Yeah, man. Kiwis Let's go put our fifty bucks uh, on them. Oh, the Kiwi Ferns. Fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. You go, and have your, you go and have yourself a hell of a weekend, Ed. Uh, it's been great chatting to you as always. And I take my hat off to you. You were brilliant today. Brilliant. Well done. Thank you, Smitty. Thank you, Logan. Thank you, Brian. Cheers, boy. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, 11.39 here. And Ed is our final winner of the week. Another chance, of course, at 11.30 on Monday morning. Uh, we have uh, got a few texts uh, that have come in, actually. Um, uh, Charlie has come in and said, so, Smithy, the New Zealand cricket team is playing an Indian B or a C team tonight. It won't be worth watching as New Zealand will bolt in. Why aren't the top Indians playing? Uh, well, that's uh, part one, Charlie, of your question. The, the reason is that they're uh, <coughs> allowed to come and go and their, their programs are so busy. Um, I think it's fair to say that uh, they've looked at this series straight after a World Cup and said, do we really need to be there? And the BCCI, which is uh, the controlling board of cricket in India, have said, no, you don't. Um, there is so much cricket coming up that uh, we understand that you can't be available for every single one of it. Uh, it's just, for me, it's, it's a shame that they've all sort of pulled out of this as one. I mean, I, I would accept if, if Coley um, and maybe one of the bowlers has said, can we have this off? Yeah, sure, no problem at all. And they'd have sent the other ones, and the other ones maybe had a, a time off. But this is a badly affected team. No Rohit Sharma, no Virat Kohli, no Cahill Rahul. Now, they are three genuine stars. They are genuine players who uh, attract attention and would be welcome on any stage. Then you look at the two all-rounders that are not here, and, uh, and uh, Ashwin and Jadeja, who are two of the best going around and have been for quite some time. Um, and then, um, you know, you, you look at the fact that Mohamed Shami... Uh, who played uh, in the recent uh, World Cup is not going to be here. Um, amongst the, the other bowlers that, that aren't available, it, it is <clears throat> a seriously depleted side. So I get your point there, Charlie. As far as the, uh, the advert that uh, we're working on it, mate, um, we're working on it. We'll get an answer for you on that one as well. It is uh, 11.40 here on SENZ. Uh, Mick Guerin next. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.46 and it's time to uh, catch up on what is happening in the harness racing industry over the weekend. I can tell you that there is racing at Alexandra Park tonight, headquarters. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow and on Sunday on the grass at Motokarara, a beautiful track that is. If you haven't been there, I suggest you go at some stage. And uh, Michael Guerin, Mick is with us uh, this morning. Uh, Mick, busy weekend ahead. It is busy. Welcome home, mate. Hope you enjoyed the uh, the World Cup. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, yeah, it is busy. Mm. It's, it's sort of a transition time, Smitty, because obviously we had Cup Week in Christchurch last week, which was enormously successful. Um, the numbers were through the roof. 
both crowd-wise and, and betting-wise. Um, and now we sort of say, well, we, where do we go next? So there's obviously big races coming up and in the cargo next month, so the South gets their chance to fly the flag. Um, we have a major meeting coming up at Addington on December the 4th, which is a Sunday, which is really unusual. And then some of the other horses start to drift north. You mentioned Alexander Park's on tonight, and, and they have a lot of really pre-Christmassy type meetings, which are very popular with people having their work functions and that there. And then obviously the Inter-Dominions are on. They start in Victoria next week, and we could have a horse like Bolt for Brilliance as favourite to win the trotting title. So all the horses who got together last week, some of these sort of spread to different parts of the country or even Australasia. And then all the good ones sort of get together again in about two months' time. And it's quite a good way of doing it. You have these little mini finals and these little mini grand final tests about two or three times a year now. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a good chance coming up now over the next six to eight weeks for people listening to this who hopefully are going to have a break over Christmas to say, you know, they're going to get to their Oma cows or their West Sports mm. or those sort of places and get the jandals on and, and take the tie off and try and enjoy that sort of racing. So we're getting into that phase of the season. and um, A lot of cups coming up, a lot of country cups come up. Like, for example, tomorrow we have a Timaru Cup and then in, in the Gallops we have things like, you know, the Counties Cup on tomorrow. So you have a lot of those sort of smaller cups, but they're massive deals for those hometowns. As I said, Timaru tomorrow... Uh, the Gallops at Counties and Alexandra Park tonight where I thought there was probably a couple of good things, but they're not paying much. And if you're going to have a bet, people bet responsibly. But I thought in race um, race seven, a horse called Beach Flyby would win. It's $2. And I thought Hot and Treacherous was a good thing in race eight. If you have your $10 spare and you're, you're not, not going to spend it on a cappuccino at lunchtime, well, then you could take those two horses for $10 and probably get about 35 bucks back and maybe have a beer tomorrow type thing. But that's tonight, Smitty, so Alexandra Park. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, myself and Louis Herman Watt are on the mail run, and we'll be updating people on lots of galloping stuff, but most importantly, how the track will be at counties, because while it feels quite warm in Auckland right now, there was a truckload of rain yesterday, and the tracks come up heavy here. Those conditions will be crucial. And then we'll sort of talk about the harness world and what does happen next and try and find everybody a winner at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning with Greg O'Connor on Trot's Talk. So between all that, we've got the good oil tomorrow afternoon where we have our big SENZ punters club. So it's quite a cool time, Smithy. As you know, the Rugby League World Cup, New Zealand are now out of it. Obviously, the Women's Rugby Rugby World Cup, which we won last week, which was so cool. Well, those things sort of coming to an end, um, there's going to be a bit more time you know, on, on sports shows like we have here or obviously in places like the Herald and those sort of things. And there's a bit more, a bit more space, and I think racing fits that quite nicely because, of, apart from cricket, we don't have many big major sports in New Zealand during the summer. The tennis is obviously coming back, which would be great, but racing's mm. going to fill a really nice niche in that. And I think SCNT is going to be at the forefront of that. So we're looking forward to, to having a bit more time and a bit more space and a bit more chance to talk about some of these really cool things that are going to have, happen over the summer of racing. Yeah, I spoke uh, this morning to uh, Jesse Gower from um, New Zealand Bloodstock, who you will know very well, and uh, they're very bullish about uh, the ready-to-run sale uh, and the result of that over the last couple of days. Uh, Mick, but uh, the downside of it, and I know you focus on the positives, and uh, that's the way you like to think, and I applaud you for that, but very disappointing. Um, I, I was in Australia uh, when I was uh, I went down to the, the local, actually, uh, because of, of the start time in Australia. The New Zealand races are on a lot earlier, um, because uh, I just wanted to watch the, uh, the Cup and some of those feature races and of course 
um, that was very poor that, that, that happened and you, you see people finally allowed to turn up on a beautiful sunny day. Uh, so I imagine um, the post-mortem will continue into that um, unfortunate uh, at Rickerton. It was a total pain in the ass, Missy. That's what it was. I mean, <clears throat> it'd be like going to the cricket and having 30,000 people there and someone left the sprinklers on and you couldn't play on the ground. Uh, now, mm. I don't think it was anybody's direct fault. I don't think, I've, you know, we had, we had an in-depth look at it on one of the TV shows I do called Way In the other day, and, and really in-depth. And no one was hiding from the fact that that it wasn't good. I don't know exactly what went wrong. I think the grass was too long at Rickerton, and water got underneath it, and it couldn't dry. That's my most uncultured way of thinking about it from about 20 phone calls I made. But it isn't good enough. You can't have customers turning up to things and not putting the game on for them. Now... Rickerton and the CJC have said to them, if you turned up last Saturday, we'll give you a full refund. We, we would like you to not take it because we need the money, but we're going to give you the option of one. I hope people don't take it because most people, Smitty, got on the jar and had a good time and enjoyed themselves. But, but it's the single biggest problem facing New Zealand racing. There's other problems, but we can't. you can't put a show on and then have people turn up and then cancel the show. And we need mm. to get this fixed. And I think it needs to go to an NZTR, which is New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing level. And they need to have total oversight on tracks. But uh, people do overreact to these things, Smithy. What they say is, well, everybody should be fired. Heads should roll. But if you did that every time someone made a mistake, you would never job, I would never job, and most people in the world would never job. But what you can't do is keep stuffing them up. Um, Canterbury, on the whole, do a really good job. So mm. I think they should have an investigation, and it should be an honest investigation. And that's one of the problems in most sports or industries, because it's quite a small club, having an investigation is really difficult because everybody knows everybody. You almost need to bring somebody in from outside the team or outside the business to lead these investigations because it's incredibly hard to investigate people you've worked alongside for 20 or 30 years. And, and you would know that mm. from some of the leadership squabbles we've had in cricket over the years or in rugby with some of the squabbles yes. we've had about, you know, even the Ian Foster thing. It's really hard for Steve Hansen to talk about Ian Foster because they're mates. And that's mm. one of the problems with New Zealand racing. Everybody knows everybody else. Uh, and that's not just racing. That's just the, the politics of top-end sport. Most people tend to know the people they're dealing with, and that makes it a lot harder to reprimand them if that, in fact, is what's needed. Mick, uh, absolutely great to catch up with you. Have a terrific weekend, mate, and uh, I love those honest thoughts uh, on what happened at the weekend. Uh, cheers, buddy. We'll catch you up too, soon, eh? Talk soon. Yeah, cheers. Um, Mick Guerin there, uh, of course, uh, he'll be on show uh, on SENZ over the weekend with uh, a couple of shows. So uh, it's 11.53 here on SENZ. Just time to catch up with Staffy before we say goodbye. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.